नमस्ते जय हिंद यूर वॉचिंग और लिसनिंग टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ द ए एन आई पॉडकास्ट विथ स्मिता प्रकाश थैंक यू फॉर लाइकिंग और सब्सक्राइबिंग टू द चैनल एंड फॉर शेयरिंग विद दोज हु यू थिंक विल बेनिफिट फ्रॉम लिसनिंग इन टू दीज कॉन्वर्सेशंस वेल वी इन इंडिया वर बिजी विद द दिवाली एंड दशहरा फेस्टिविटीज इन द मिडल ईस्ट देर वॉज टूमाल्ट एंड टर्मोइल द इजराइल हमास वॉर हैज थ्रेटन टू इनगल्फ मोर देन जस्ट दैट रीजन एंड इट विल हैव रेपोकाशंस ऑन मेनी अदर कंट्रीज We have about 10 million expat Indians in the Middle East. They send back remunerations to India. An expansion of the war could have repercussions for India too with regard to the economy and security situation. For many of us the visuals of October 7th attack by Hamas has been disturbing to say the least. So also the relentless bombing that innocent Palestinians have to face in Gaza. From a national security perspective, let us discuss this threadbare with our guest today, Lieutenant General Vinod G. Khandare. After serving in the Indian Army, General Khandare served as military adviser to the National Security Council, is currently principal adviser to the Ministry of Defence, and has served as Director General, Defence Intelligence Agency. I am joined in this conversation with my colleague Ajit Dubey. uh thank you general kandare thank you so much for being part of the podcast um we will talk a whole lot about uh, you know your uh, your your career in the army and about data protection and of course we'll bring in uh, this book on uh, data sovereignty so i request uh, viewers and listeners uh, do pick up this book it's called data sovereignty the pursuit of supremacy and uh, it's authored by uh, several people including general khandare so we'll talk about uh, about this and about data protection but first uh, i want to focus on uh, on what everybody is wondering at this stage whether they are uh, in their civilians or whether they are part of the forge um, is that what happened in west asia how was israel caught unawares uh, we've all grown up Uh, listening to stories about the mossad and about about the hard state that israel is uh, as a military man as an advisor to the indian government also on military matters uh, what do you think happened how were the defense forces caught up and unawares in israel firstly thank you smita for inviting me here and uh, your point is absolutely relevant you know uh, no military should ever be caught off guard hmm. and uh, especially uh, when you are in a festive mood and that happened so many years back and it happened again so uh, i would say personally i am telling you that the present chief of uh, israeli defense force i know him well mm-hmm. i am surprised and i am surprised because he was my contemporary when i was the intelligence chief i have interacted with him i know how professional he is in fact in our earlier days uh, we have interacted of what is the preparation of hamas hezbollah he knew everything so i am actually surprised how did it happen and the other part the last two chiefs that is the present one and the last chief both have been southern army commanders in israel and that's where everything went wrong mm. maybe at times what happens with us when you know a little too much you get into that complacency mode possibly i feel that may have happened i am not the final judge that's for the israeli defense force to check out one possibility more is when countries and armed forces get into too much of technology i have seen there how they have 
cameras, they have drones, they have uh, autonomous firing systems, they have control centers right down to a battalion and a company level. Maybe they thought that they were seeing everything. Uh, somewhere a tilt more towards technology, less towards human. What is required is a beautiful synergy between human and techint. Maybe that's where something went wrong. Otherwise, how can uh, Israeli Defense Force be so complacent and look at the price that they have paid hmm. and especially of the civilians who had no role to play in this. Yeah. That uh, barbaric act obviously cannot be forgiven. Right. So, uh, I heard one expert on American television who said an Israeli expert uh, I mean, somebody who, who's seen the region, uh, whose opinion was that, you know, when they opened up the borders to bring in yeah. uh, Palestinians, so the uh, there were Palestinians who were working uh, as gardeners, as electricians, um, as household staff in the homes uh, of several IDF personnel. They were working in the homes of intelligence personnel. Maybe they were vetted, but they were doing that. And then... They were coming in every day and somewhere uh, there was a nexus as in, as you said, that human human intelligence uh, was probably not all that great, even though uh, technically they might have passed all the checks and things like that. But somewhere they were gathering all that information. They knew exactly when the gates of the kibbutz would be shut, opened and the People who were in charge of the security, the armed personnel who were in charge of the security of the kibbutz, they went on air to say they knew exactly the Hamas warriors who came in. I'm not even going to say non-state actors. They were warriors the way they came in. They knew the time of change of guard. They knew where the weapons were stored. They knew the security drill in the kibbutz that when, if and when an attack happens, with how much time it would take to go to the safe room, where the safe rooms were located, they had all that intelligence. So while you're saying that a perfect harmony between human and uh, techint would be something that everybody aspires for, here there were large gaping holes in that. Actually, this is where uh, you can see Hamas had more human. And I think they mastered that. Hmm. And over a period of time, hmm. uh, possibly, again, uh, one more factor may have happened. Uh, when you look at the Israeli Defense Force deployment, they have generally given more priority to the northern sector. Hezbollah. They have, yeah. Okay. And they have given a lot of priority to Tel Aviv. They have given a lot of priority to such bigger installations which they have. Even their military deployment in the south is very less. West Bank has more. Yeah. Okay. And uh, even the Negev desert, uh, huh. they have been planning for so long that they will thin out from Tel Aviv and get into Negev desert. It takes time. And uh, hmm. maybe that was one more thing which the planners uh, from Hamas and the external support that they were getting, they may have seen which is the thinnest deployment, which is the place where they can look at. Hmm. Uh, maybe that could be hmm. another reason. We are just uh, speculating at the moment. But your point is absolutely valid. When you allow such uh, a pouring in of uh, labor, and uh, again, that's a lesson for us also. Hmm. Uh, you know, what is, uh, uh, when you say credentials have been checked, what do you mean by that? Even in India, when you look at it, hmm. uh, 
the police station is supposed to confirm maybe in yeah. israel also that is supposed to confirm how effective would a police station be to know everything yes when i speak to the ips officers they say the nerve center of every intelligence is the police station so they are busy collecting intelligence but when you have such an enemy across the border or inside Hmm. then i think uh, more provisions have to be made and uh, you cannot be like a dicycle to a level that you feel that uh, they are scared now and they will not take any action maybe your assessments have gone wrong maybe your analysis was wrong so they have to again uh, get to the basics and in our case also whenever things go wrong we say get back to basics which is what you have to start from intelligence what exactly is the problem hmm. and how do you need to tackle it it's not that you've gone ahead and you've reached a technological threshold where you say that you'll start neglecting the basics okay. i think they have to get back to basics and that is what will solve the problem subsequently and sir uh, you talked about this synergy between human and uh, tech and uh going back to basics now in uh, last uh, many years uh, in the past we have also now be, even in india we have been hearing that now with the infl- uh, influx of more and more technology uh, deployment of cameras and sensors on the loc and lac uh, there is a possibility that we can cut down the, the numbers in the army we have been hearing about leaner meaner army technology driven army so is that a lesson in this entire episode is this a lesson for us as well that okay you can uh, technology can help you uh, keep a better eye on the enemy but it cannot replace the soldier on ground ajit you are absolutely right and especially in india our terrain is different in israel when you look at it flattish terrain all over and a camera can cover right up to a kilometer in our case there are folds in the ground there are even if you put camera in certain places i will tell you the streams that are rushing past you can't even pick up a sound which is loud enough then the winds the howling winds you know so you may have acoustic sensors you may have cameras you may have thermal cameras you may have drones but finally the man has to be there and the man has to be in charge of all this you know you can't be depending on remote control and say that okay i will put everything which is based on technology and remove the person from there mm-hmm. finally whether it is you know anything can go wrong a camera can be blacked out and when we look at our enemy on the northern borders he has got technology to even uh, blow up the uh, electronic circuits mm-hmm. so i think we will make a very big mistake if we try to replace a soldier with this technology gadget let's put it this way the man is effective but let's make him more effective by not replacing him but giving him all these technological gadgets hmm. it, it, and like you were saying that our borders because of the geographical the topography uh, i've seen myself you know like uh, when you see the uh, the desert region uh, when we have the thar desert region you fencing to hai but because of the sand dunes you yeah. have the fence and yeah. sometimes it's a hanging uh, fence because the sand dune has shifted and <laughs> you can easily go under sometimes the fence sometimes you can even climb the sand dune and you are on the other side of the fence the yeah because the fence thing. has gone down the same thing yeah. happens in kashmir the fence which we have put there the amount of snowfall you know there are occasions and every year the fence is buried 
and if the the snow and what happens is throughout the night because of the wind factor the snow actually becomes a thick crust hmm. it can take the human weight hmm. so there ha- when people say the passes have closed doesn't mean that we are relaxing because we know that over the fence there is at least 4 to 5 feet of snow hmm. and people walk across and that is much more difficult for us because it is freezing cold and uh, this crust enables people to walk across you you've seen in the last few years these terrorists who've been gunned down or who've been captured hmm. look at the clothing that they're wearing it's absolutely special clothing that they are wearing and coming across hmm. so earlier during my younger days people used to say okay during the winter 16 core will have bulk of uh, infiltration and uh, 15 will have nothing nothing like that you will find similar trends on both sides of shamshabadi when we talk about uh, clothing and all of course we are going to think about siachen and what happened then uh, you've done a posting uh, there to tell us about uh, the conditions there and you know i'm all the more keen to listen to your uh, stories your anecdotes and your what you have to say about that region because of you know those visuals of those paragliders who came in yeah. the hamas paragliders who came in and now you're t- telling us about the uh, about siachen and it just brings back that nobody at that time thought that uh, infiltration will happen in that region you know and they came in they came in in, in, in the kargil region in the kargil region they came in they came in in siachen they came in, in and uh, stuff that we thought won't happen they had all the clothing uh, to beat yeah. so you tell me uh, about that see uh, i was posted on siachen glacier in 1988 and in 84 we had just established the post and we were all struggling to consolidate you know first and uh, when i'm saying consolidate i do remember that 84 when uh, now lieutenant general sanjay kulkarni landed there first and we started deploying our troops it was extremely difficult because you can't have anything going up there except you're lugging it or you're para dropping it half the time whatever stores were being para dropped or falling into crevices you could not even recover that even rations hmm. so it was a logistical nightmare and the number of casualties because of the cold climate were more than the uh, what we suffered I'm going to interrupt you for listeners and viewers we have done a podcast with general kulkarni i uh, urge you to listen to that and listen to the whole siachen uh, story which uh, general kulkarni gave us at that time sorry sir huh, okay. go ahead so uh, when we went there in 88 by then uh, pakis had already attacked once and then bana singh had taken back kaid post so that had happened once then subsequently one more event happened where 34 gr was there and then uh, then major kg chatterjee had fought valiantly and he got a mahavir chakra for that so just at the footsteps of that we landed there hmm. and we were the ones who relieved 34 gr there 14 garhwal was my battalion and we again faced the same thing and uh, in the uh, i think in the summer of 1988 Uh, we again got attacked at bana we again got attacked at uh, uh, bila fondla complex so it was a cat and mouse game the moment they sense some weakness somewhere or especially at a time when the battalions were changing they always tried their stunts hmm. and during that period we had to establish one more very high post uh, we called it pratap hmm. and uh, it was an interesting thing uh, my unit had a very brave officer who recently passed away because of 
some ailment after retirement uh, then major ap singh he took a patrol and occupied a very high peak mm-hmm. and when he climbed up and uh, the weather cleared up he saw just about 50 meters below the pakis were also climbing up mm. they were trying to come up on that on that same feature okay. so it, maybe we reached a little earlier so how do i attribute it quick decision making and quick execution so we were able to get there before them and then we obviously brought down fire on them and then they uh, went running back and those were the ssg soldiers and during this time we have to see what was the role played by uh, uh, then brigadier parvez musharraf parvez musharraf he was the one who was pushing for this and please connect this now these dots have to be connected i think he always felt slighted that he could not take siachen back so kargil so kargil mm-hmm. you know human psyche is extremely important you can't put everything on paper but people like me keep thinking that he was commanding 323 brigade he could not get it uh, during our tenure there the his failed attack on bila there were bodies which were lying all over and they were buried under snow and we retrieved those bodies and handed them over back to uh, pakis not from where we were but we took the bodies back with full respect and then they were flown to kargil and from kargil they were handed over back to uh, the pakis Hmm. Uh, not a word of gratitude hmm. and uh, we know how difficult it was to dig out these bodies see it was, it is ice you can see the body but when you have to take out the body you have to be extra careful because the body is now in a way so fragile rigor mortis yeah so yeah. fragile that it can break and we don't want to show disrespect towards uh, any person hmm. So when we were doing that, we were absolutely eyeball to eyeball with uh, the Pakistan soldiers on Siachen Glacier, and we took it, took out these bodies. Then in the helicopter, and you can understand, the helicopter effort in those days was not as much. We mm. we could not even afford to have, but we gave priority to their bodies going back. Mm. So this 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 means sir, this this is a tradition in the Pakistani army to. Uh, just shun the dead and move ahead with other things. Yes, we have been showing respect. In ninety nine, yes. we showed respect. We gave them, and they had just forgotten that these bodies were even lying there. See, uh, basically, our culture. We are a civilizational country. Our culture is that we follow dharma. What is dharma? Jo sahi karna hai. Jo sahi nahi karna hai, wo adharm hai. So we have all been brought up uh, right from our childhood days to teach us. do what is right it's not who's observing you but do what is right and that's what when we were getting these bodies out you didn't have to tell our soldiers that you know uh, be careful don't don't it's not a store that you just throw it you know so that kind of leadership that kind of following that we have uh, that makes our uh, army quite good it's quite a civilized army you you've heard of Uh, the raids across the line of control where heads are cut have you ever heard of indian army cutting heads no we have never done that we may take our revenge but we won't be uh, doing what butchery they do to our uh, soldiers but we've seen now we've heard about what or i mean uh, some journalists have seen the videos uh, of the butchery that was done in west asia i keep coming back to yeah, that yeah, sir because right. it is it's something that has shaken a lot of people uh, what the hamas did and now uh, what is happening in gaza where so uh, the brutality of what is happening in gaza is also shocking everybody that 
this whole thing about revenge has to be taken. Um, tell us, as a military man, how do you feel that civilians have been killed? Uh, what is the Israeli mentality? Because you know the Israel uh, intelligence chief, you know the uh, the people who are heading the defense forces. You've interacted with them. What, how do you? Uh, how do you say this? Because the Israelis say it's an existential crisis for them. They have to take revenge and there is no question uh, of uh, ceasefire and there is no question of any quarter asked. They are going to get their uh, people out, those who have been taken hostage, and there will be they will be leveled out. You tell me where does the humanitarian aspect come out here because uh, now all over the world uh, people are saying that this is a crisis now you are talking about a country's defense forces wanting revenge against civilians or because the Hamas are civilians in a way they are a terror group yes but Palestinians are civilians see two or three things here Smita firstly the barbarity that uh, Hamas displayed is absolutely shocking. In fact, okay, why am I saying shocking? Because they are known to be that. Hmm. That's what Ajit also asked, that this is exactly how they behave. So, uh, one, while it's not a good thing to say that one expects it, but one should be ready to counter them or to prevent such a thing happening. Now that it has happened, it has shaken up the entire Israel nation. And when Israel nation has been shaken up, one is by the barbarity and second because of the hostages. Mm. And how does the Israeli Defense Force react to this? Israel Defense Force has a very strong claim to say that mm. below the Gaza Strip, there are there is a network of tunnels. And if there is a network of tunnels, that's where more rockets have been stored. Okay, you look at uh, the uh, record that Israelis have been claiming and for a number of years... At times they say there are 1,30,000 rockets. At times that figure has reached 1,60,000. Yeah. And how many were fired? If you calculate how many were fired, people say 40,000 were fired, 20,000, 50,000. There's a whole lot which is still lying inside somewhere. And Israelis do not want their population to be targeted again hmm. with whatever is lying balance. And when I'm saying balance, don't forget that more is being manufactured and sent here. So, when you said existential threats, this is exactly what an Israeli thinks of. Hmm. He says, if I don't protect myself, my future generation is not going to forgive me. Their past generations have suffered. They don't want that cycle to be repeated. They are looking for those rockets which are in the tunnels. They are looking for these Hamas terrorists who are in the tunnels. How do you get to the tunnels? You know, it's the most difficult thing for an infantryman to get into the tunnels and fight, which are all prepared, fortified in a, fortified in a hmm. manner. So how do you do it? The only way to do it is to uh, bomb them. And bomb them in which manner? Now, the terrorists are known to be using human shields. Hmm. That's what they've done? Yeah. Okay. Where are the hostages now? Possibly in these tunnels. So they also are looking at these tunnels still being saved in a manner because the Israeli hostages are there. Do you see a plot in that, that the hostages have been taken? For what? Every time you take a hostage, you extract a price out of it. Mm. Were they looking for people to be released? No. They were looking for ensuring that Israelis do not react as violently as they would. Mm. Remember what happened in Kandahar. When our relatives yeah. came around the Prime Minister's house and said, look, I, I remember how 
बैड इट वॉज वेर दिस हेड लुक दिस इज़ अ न्यू ईयर कमिंग एंड ईयर टू थाउजेंड नाइन्टी नाइन टू टू थाउजेंड ट्रांजेक्शन इज दिस द वे वी आर गोइंग टू रिमेंबर आर चिल्ड्रेन आर दे यू डोंट हैव चिल्ड्रेन डू वट एवर यू फील लाइक सो यू होल्ड द गवर्नमेंट होस्टेज इसराइल इज डिफरेंट इन इसराइल एवरी वन हैज़ डन सोल्जरिंग बिकॉज ऑफ द कंस्क्रिप्शन मेथड दे नो दैट इफ दे हैव बीन टेकन एज होस्टेज एंड इवन इफ दे हैव टू सेक्रीफाइस सो बी इट दैट इज फॉर द एंटायर रेस फॉर द रिलीजन एंड फॉर द कंट्री I have a feeling that these hostages were taken by Hamas in a way to ensure that retaliation does not happen in this manner, and that threshold Israel has already crossed in decision making, okay. and they are trying to get the tunnel. They are trying to blow up whatever is stored underneath. Most of the um, offices, headquarters, bunkers were below the buildings. Would you spare the buildings and then have the same people again come back at you? You have to be careful as a military man. I think the political decision and the military decision are in convergence. Hmm. The political decision is that such a thing will never be allowed to happen. Hamas or Hezbollah should not exist. If there are these two fronts, at least one has to be finished, and then the military plan has been translated into that manner. we will not suffer more casualties by putting into putting them into the tunnels without making adequate damage to the tunnel i think that is the way the military plan has been planned and executed sir uh, like uh, you talked about the strong resolve of the israeli uh, hmm. government and their defense forces that we will not discuss hostage and uh, i think i guess what you are suggesting is that this was also a miscal- miscalculation on part of hamas that we will take hostages and they'll is there a lesson for us also to, to learn that in that if a situation like this ever comes in future what should be the national priority do we do drills uh, for this now this comes under the uh, civil defense now civil defense is controlled by the mha i know for sure that in the past a few months there has been some activity in the civil defense i know there's an there's a retired air force officer who's working in civil defense and he's been interacting with the ministry of defense also mm-hmm. he has been interacting with think tanks also and he's doing a lot to get things going no uh, what exactly is he doing sir see what had happened i i will tell you in 1965 i was a small child here in delhi and when these air raids and sirens used to happen the civil defense and ncc used to play a major role in trying to get the blackout ensured getting people into the trenches in front of our house we had a trench so whenever there was an air raid siren we used to get into the in delhi yes in, in delhi 1965 there were trenches here yes in trenches and uh, we right, expected uh, attacks to happen in delhi yes we did expect around that time because pakistan by ambala the ambala uh, came ambala uh, jodhpur, jodhpur and uh, actually what uh, was happening in 1965 there was tremendous amount of inventory deficiency in our case Hmm. they were flying saber jets we were flying nats and nats were the british aircrafts which we had inherited we didn't have that kind of a capability so uh, uh, at that time prime minister lal bahadur shastri was an excellent prime minister and he was very sure that he couldn't accept any more damages from what already had happened hmm. what had happened in kutch and other places so we were going on a even in agra there used to be blackouts so we were getting ready to ensure that we don't suffer losses 
and we get back whatever we had to i remember the 1971 blackouts uh, and uh, the sirens and we everybody had to go in i remember my father had that uh, uh, vespa scooter jis pe wo black wo hota tha and we had those Haan. brown paper covers on that Haan. half light half and light. then uh, then that yeah. time you did full with a small yeah, hole a in between yeah in the center and then uh, brown paper covers on uh, on the bulbs on uh, thing yes, and when the, at the time of the siren uh, we had to go and stand uh, in the corners of Uh, the house if you could go out fine if not stand in the corners of your house because at night going out is also uh, difficult and i clearly remember the confusion because uh, we used to live uh, in south delhi and uh, general yaya khan had said humne noroji nagar bomb kiya hai hmm. that was like barely a kilometer away from where we were this was of course fake there was no yeah, bombing yeah, yeah. but he had just heard of a place uh, that that's my vague recollection of what blackouts were but i don't remember trenches in uh, delhi 65 in, uh, 65 i, I have myself gone into a trench into and a trench. i know the shape was z okay. so you had to just get into it so that it's not linear in a manner If it is a linear and the bomb fall, then everyone goes into that. So this know? is the work of the civil defence. To come defense. back to what this, you this were is saying. Civil defence. Okay. No, uh, what I was asking, sir, this is uh, this is about how to manage uh, people in crisis. I am saying, uh, uh, in terms of negotiation for hostage and uh, the prioritisation of the situation, like uh, if there is a hostage situation and somebody is trying to blackmail you, somebody has attacked us, and then so I was asking about that okay. situation. Okay. See sir. how it happens. Uh, hostage crisis we've had then we've had quite uh, adverse impact during the uri crisis so at that time immediately we have an apex level uh, mechanism which comes in and uh, i'm not describing more of it but that comes in and i have been a part of that so i know whatever time of the day or night people immediately get together and then um, a decision or a recommendation is taken to the ccs and the ccs immediately takes it it's not as bureaucratic as it may appear because the people who are there in that apex level they are all people who can take action and decisions and then immediately it is uh, taken to the top hierarchy uh, that's where the prime minister and uh, his four uh, ccs other ministers they decide on how to proceed with it and what are the implications of it how can we handle it as far as that management is concerned and termination is concerned so the initiation has been done by the enemy now the management has to be done by us and then the termination so uh, that at the apex level we have a good system quite agile and uh, things happen now how is the nation prepared the national resilience is extremely important mm. national resilience in israel is remarkable whatever losses happen to individual they are ready to accept it have you uh, seen the kind of uh, upheaval that would have happened in india or it would have happened in any other part as compared to that israel has had some protests some protests also that is another lesson whenever you have a weak government at the center such things happen so a nation's resilience is also dependent on how strong the government is 
and how strong the character of the citizens is so i'm going to come back to the protest pit uh, yes they have held back most people feel that it was a big mistake on the part of uh, the netanyahu government and they will have to pay the price for it in fact one person that yeah. i spoke to said that it's understandable that you know once the, right now operations are on so at the time and israelis have all been trained for this that operations are on don't destabilize right now but it it is a it is an understood fact that the heads will roll but later not right now when operations are on uh, so there there is that hold back factor uh, on the anger aspect of it uh, which you were saying is the nation prepared for it as far as india is concerned because we don't have that transcription here that training um, that's not there right immediate outpouring ho jata hai but uh two points one is when you were saying the agility uh, we didn't see that agility when kandhar happened we didn't see the agility when 2611 happened is there a learning from those two experiences one that question or maybe let's finish with that question yes first. that's how it has happened and uh, in fact when i became the dg dia and then a whole lot of things happened hmm. pathan court happened hmm. followed by uri followed by nagrota sanjuwan one thing after the other it was just happening and we were learning every time something new was happening and that agility had uh, happened i remember the army chief general dalbi the uh, uh, naval chief the air force chief the director ib secretary rnaw dr jayshankar was the foreign secretary hmm. and we all um, and all obviously led by the nsa hmm. ajit doval ji what were we doing we were obviously getting our act right hmm. so these are the people who matter at that point in time yeah and then what do they do obviously when the prime minister's nod is required he has to be given options he has to be given to say that you follow this this will happen you follow this this will happen what is the risk in each of these and how is the nation going to see you look at ib they are telling you how the nation will respond you have rnaw he tells you how the world will respond you have the foreign secretary who says how we will handle the neighborhood or the other the country. fallout of that so you have all the people here and uh, uh, that is when the decision is uh, sought from the apex leadership hmm. with a commitment that yes once the decision is taken it will be executed hmm. so that agility has uh, been uh, streamlined and it has come Okay I'm going to quote something sir uh, it's an extract from an article written by Thomas Friedman in the New York Times um, he writes I'm watching the Israel Hamas war and thinking about one of the world leaders I most admired Dr Manmohan Singh he was India's prime minister in late November 2008 when 10 Pakistani jihadist militants from the Lashkar-e-Taiba group widely believed to be linked to Pakistan's military intelligence infiltrated India and killed more than 160 people in Mumbai including 61 at two luxury hotels what was singh's military response uh, to india september 11th he did nothing singh never retaliated militarily against the nation of pakistan or lashkar camps in pakistan it was a remarkable act of restraint what was the logic now he then goes on in the article to explain the logic quotes the former nsa uh, in in explaining why that political decision was taken but all through uh, admiring india for the restraint that it showed in um uh, a post 2611 mumbai attacks now there's one view in india which admired that uh, restraint that the government showed that the military showed um, that our defense forces showed that was one the second one was the 
the anger especially in maharashtra that this is what has happened you being a maharashtrian explain this to me that how did the political leadership how did the uh, the forces how did they react to that restraint order from uh, the political uh, and there is another view that post pulwama and post our strikes into surgical strikes that kind of restraint cannot happen anymore so these three points sir see firstly maharashtra you are very right people were extremely angry they it was like a boil people had lost so many people at the railway station in uh, chatrapati huh? everywhere people had and uh, you know everyone was expecting some kind of a retaliation hmm. and then people started i i know for sure because during that time i was hearing people saying that what is the difference between what we are doing now and what we what happened to us in 1962 mm. so have we reached that lowest level that even pakistan can do to us what china did to us in 1962 this i am telling you what were the popular sentiments around that time mm. okay forget about maharashtra around that time i was commanding a brigade in siliguri mm. there also it was the same thing they they said look how can this happen to a country of our size and uh, we were uh, saying that look we are a nuclear power and is this all that we are going to do we, so whether you call it a restraint or whether you call it a paralysis whatever you can call it but we did not do anything that is for sure were we still expecting something to happen with the international intervention where we gave them doses and we gave them proof and okay maybe at that time we thought this is the best way to do let let us tell the whole world that look we have all the evidence and what did pakistan do they said all your doses are nonsense despite the fact that we had electronic evidence on that hmm. that uh, we yes. knew from where the handlers were uh, making things happen but that maybe that was the time or the incident or the kind of action or inaction that the nation possibly thought that no more hmm. and that was one of the thing when uh, after uri that surgical strikes and after Uh, pulwama the uh, balakot thing i think the nation felt that yes this is the way to do it because if somebody hurts one i am not going to take it back hmm. at least from the national level hmm. uh, from the armed forces or security forces level let me tell you there have been a number of occasions when things have gone wrong on the line of control and army does not pardon the other side if there is something which happens you retaliate maybe that is at a local level all through there's no reticence anymore no chance and even earlier i i'm putting that on record to tell you maybe when we did surgical strike seven in a row hmm. that was the magnitude which we had never done earlier hmm. but if let us say in a particular formation something had happened uh, no commanding officer or no person there would accept it and he would say no i'll get back at them uh, sir uh, you were also you talked about uh, the formations or units not for uh, not pardoning the other side on the loc when such a thing happens uh you were also commanding your unit in in, in jammu and kashmir sir uh, you have had experiences in not pardoning the enemy for uh, working against us uh, can you please share it with us sir uh, see uh, in 1999 if you remember kargil happened and uh, again we felt cheated after the lahore declaration whatever was done to us so we felt cheated and uh, gradually we had started making up our mind that these people cannot be trusted that is across the line of control and around that time uh, 
officially operational vijay was called off but so wait sorry i'm going to interrupt you you said lahore declaration we felt cheated who felt cheated why did you feel cheated over the lahore declaration see here is a prime minister from india who's a gentleman who's trying to make peace with uh, your neighbor he is taking such bold initiatives which can cost him uh, his political career we all knew that and uh, still he goes across and uh, at that point in time the army chief is not shaking his hand he is not even there and uh, he is busy occupying so how does the indian army take it indian army says no this man is not to be trusted so that is how we all felt i was yeah. commanding my battalion around that time hmm. so i can tell you uh, my about 800 uh, men also felt the same hmm. and uh, like i was telling you uh, the raids from across they were launching and they were launching using their military people that is the ssg people and the terrorists combined and in february uh, february 2000 Uh, they carried out a raid at one of our uh, brigade uh, posts in one of the sister battalions and they killed 10 people they beheaded them and uh, they burned the entire post and this was in noshira and uh, worse than that was they took a soldier alive and next morning down below while our people were seeing from the post they beheaded him live you could see that okay. and then they used that head to play football and then that man Kash- uh, ilyas kashmiri you can go on google and you can see it is there ilyas kashmiri carries that hand and goes to uh, parvez musharraf and parvez musharraf rewards him i think 1 lakh or 3 lakh something in cash for having done yeah, he is the man who fathered a child uh, in jail in jail yeah so yeah. so this is the kind of people you are dealing with and then obviously general malik was the chief and uh, army commander was general khanna our core commander was also general khanna they all came and we were seven commanding officers there and they said look uh, how do you take this so obviously uh, nobody takes it kindly so we were told okay you plan and do something i am not going into other details but after that we prepared well and in october on night of 27 28th october my battalion and my uh, troops we went across and we raided a post and we raided a post and uh, we were able to kill uh, Uh, more than about 24 people six were missing and we blew up that post we blew up because we wanted to tell them that you killed 10 and uh, the, it's not that you mathematically do it but you the amount of pain that you have to inflict if you remember our uh, previous defense minister used to say that if you have to get even with him you have to inflict the pain on him to make him realize and that was uh, an operation in which uh, one of my battalion officer major amitab roy got a vrc and we got a number of sena medals gallantry so that is the kind of language uh, they understand and this uh, this attack happened in february you uh, went in october went in october yeah with all so the preparation you had a long preparation for it yeah because see uh, when uh, if you go and do it immediately they are fully prepared uh-huh. and when you put him in a complacent stage and uh, we put him in such a complacent stage that he thought okay these people as usual will not retaliate so that is the time when you uh, there's no him. confirmation whether ilyas kashmiri is alive or dead nobody really knows right see that i leave it to the intelligence agencies to tell us but as far as i am concerned the point which you had asked us what about the anger hmm. 
the anger was something which had to be uh, went out on them for the paltan it's important for the paltan it is important for the indian army it is important see i was in a way avenging what had happened to my sister battalion it yeah, had okay. not happened to me correct correct it had happened to a sister battalion and you were personally involved in the raid yes uh, sir uh, uh, coming to what ma'am was asking about this 2611 restraint that we showed uh, after this article there have been uh, comments in the indian media also people are writing that uh, the restraint shown by indian uh, government post 2611 uh, gave india the well deserved sympathy international sympathy international sympathy sympathy and it helped indian cause in a big way i don't know how it uh, how this sympathy helps a country but uh, like you have been part of the uh, you have been part of the uh, you have held very important offices you have been the director general of defense intelligence you have been the military advisor to the national security council and right now you are in uh, defense ministry uh, as a principal advisor now do you think sir such uh, the 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 country or the government at this moment the way things are panning out there is so much of uh, social media uh, coverage is there is there a policy possible where people will say that okay we will not respond and we will get sympathy gains try to gain sympathy of international community i think there is a generational change in thinking also i i, I don't feel that the present generation when i am saying the present generation all those who are involved uh, i don't think they look for sympathy uh, they say let's become capable let's respond to the best of our ability and i am not dependent on anybody's sympathy to uh, to say oh bichara that bichara syndrome i think is all over we we have uh, moved ahead and i am quite sure in my mind that uh, anybody who is serving uh, or even uh, i am telling you even the locals in kashmir who were there when we did what we did hmm. they were very appreciative of it even now whenever i go there there is a shrine known as khori baba and whenever i go there i do pay my respect there and all of them come together and they say they remember those days and that bichara syndrome i think just went out of the window uh, so i'm going to also come to this uh, book and when we talk because the reason is because we were talking about human and tech end yeah. and hybrid warfare all these things come up for uh, conversation we had general shukra on, on the show and he was saying that you know when you have a muscular foreign policy you need to back it uh, with a, a strong uh, intelligence and a strong military policy all these things go hand in hand so i want you to tell me uh, what is firstly your book says data sovereignty explain to us and our listeners what is data sovereignty and with relation to national security look smita we all have been looking at technological developments and in technological development we talk of artificial intelligence artificial intelligence is the engine the fuel for that is data mm. why do you think india has a free whatsapp or a free facebook all these platform digital platform why are they free to us we are busy chatting who's benefiting out of this the entire data is moving to whichever place the data centers are there and that churning of that data refining of that data they get to know what is our thinking what is our preference marketing happens on that hmm. similar things happen based on whatever is being found out from the security services say for example there, there is some activity some conversation some chatter which is happening around an airport something is happening around a military station 
and if you are able to utilize your technology to filter that out and you say okay this is how the uh, security services are functioning or thinking or responding let's assume for a moment that when uh, a raid happens across the line of control or when some terrorist act happens what do you think the uh, foreign intelligence services are doing they are monitoring exactly what is happening on the social media what are the hotspots they map it they map that where is the maximum activity which is happening and then they get the trends they get their activity that okay if uri has happened these are the following places where maps are being downloaded or so what google is free hmm. and google is free for you but whatever you are giving back to the person who is giving it to you free he he is utilizing this data now whether you are an enemy or not an enemy but at the same time this knowledge which he is getting out of you is based on these platforms hmm. so when we say data sovereignty we are saying look internet may be free internet may be global and another thing here you cannot remain like an island you know you have to be part of the entire system this policy that i have banned this that is a local policy but internet is global hmm. so you cannot be moving out of that because sure. there is trade there is so much which is happening now what do we do we must ensure that our data stays in india so we have our data which is stored in the data centers in india we can possibly start maybe we it's already late but where is our version of whatsapp where is our version of facebook why is it not so popular as compared to what the americans are giving it to us or maybe at places even chinese may have given uh, certain first mover advantage yeah. but we have not moved beyond that we just accepted there yeah. so this okay. data sovereignty is to hmm. sensitize the people here that what you are getting free is not free it is at a cost it is at a national cost and this we had uh, released this book in 2019 and then a number of uh, political leaders also started getting sensitive towards that hmm. and that is when that entire movement in a way i am not saying that it is only because of us hmm. but uh, it started getting traction that you know we have to protect our data we have to protect the individuals data Hmm. and all those protection bills and you see the kind of work that is happening so many iterations have taken place hmm. it can't be done in a hurry because if you do something in a hurry and you have to also look at people have to function you also have to look at the judicial issues at times the judicial issues also block uh, the executive so it's it's a work in progress which the legislature is doing and a lot of bureaucracy is also involved in that So when and we send this WhatsApp and it says end to end encrypted that doesn't mean safe. End to end encrypted is somebody in between is not taking but what about the person who's the running person it? Person on the yeah. Hmm. The person who's running it is uh, the owner. Uh, that's why he's giving it to you free because he is extracting something out of it. At times uh, don't you realize that uh, when you just said something that I want to go to Manali and suddenly the messages start pouring on internet where you are looking at hotels in manali or movement to manali but that's not a human right that's artificial intelligence at play now yeah. tell me the connection now artificial intelligence can work best if it has most data available with it hmm. if it has only the year 2023 data it will get some trends but you add 22 21 you keep going back you keep adding data to that how were you thinking in 2020 how were you thinking in 2010 
and what has changed what are your preferences which have changed so economy gets dictated by this data hmm. so if you have to really protect your own interest the national interest you have to protect your data otherwise the ai engines which are there available with other countries are much better than what little we have today hmm. so your trade your economy your everything will be dictated based on that because even before you take a decision he knows this is what decision you are going to take your decision making where it is data enabled can be read through so and increasingly we are all uh, talking data. about uh, data enabled decision making yeah correct statistics so th- that kind of a thing will happen so see, there are many uh, people who think that uh, we are insignificant in uh, as far as national security is concerned hum to jammu mein rehte hain i just have a carpenter ki dukan mere ko kya lena dena security se aur mere messages agar koi pad leta to kya farak padta hai kya pad leta hai now so i put this uh, to uh, somebody who is in decision making that if somebody re- reacts like this how do you explain uh, what it means to which i was told that this person is sitting in jammu his daily activity is mapped by some kind of an ai system what time he goes to sleep what is the anger in him when is he most angry what are the problems that he faces taxation ki issue hai rohingya ki problem hai so then they get to figure out hmm. what are the fissures in the society in a border area you got it that people in the border area of your country are angry because of say infiltration because of uh, religious matter caste matter and then that fissure is used by an enemy country and it need not be a geographically uh, satiwid nation it need not be just pakistan in the west and uh, in the east china it could be another country somewhere else it could be a soros for all you know yeah, it yeah. could be somebody sitting out there so any citizen of the country who thinks that he doesn't matter or she doesn't matter regardless of age sex gender anything the data that they putting into their cell phone into their facebook can be manipulated and used is what that person said do you agree with that point of view yes absolutely look smita this is not something which is a revolution today hmm. internal cohesion has to be the best if a country has to become strong who said this right from the time of chanakya we have been saying internal cohesion is something okay your body is strong hmm. you can take on anything which is external your body is not strong and then you blame the other that he is stronger than you so if i give you an analogy that every citizen is like a cell in that human body you look at uh, chanakya saptang theory what did he say a state is like a human body hmm. there are seven organs of that body in which he had started with head as the swami and then the amatyas who are the advisors he is given everything like that in which he is talking of infrastructure he is talking of economy he is talking of dand which is the security service hmm. and in that he says that every individual is important hmm. every individual will either make a state strong or make a state weak the involvement of every individual will make your country strong but if you yourself are lackadaisical in your approach and say okay how does it matter i am a nobody hmm. that is the weak link in that chain and that is what will be targeted you look at china the three warfare strategies what is it one is lawfare we will not talk about that at the moment but that is also important psychological warfare or psyops hmm. which means you have to convert somebody's mind 
टू मेक हिम फील दैट ही इज इधर यूजलेस और ही इज नॉट एज गुड एंड दी अदर पर्सन कैन कम एंड रूल ओवर यू सो दैट इज साइकोलॉजिकल वॉरफेयर और मेक हिम सो कम्प्लेसेंट दैट ही स्टार्ट फीलिंग ही इज ऑल इन ऑल एंड देन ही इज सरप्राइज सो दैट इज साइकोलॉजिकल वॉरफेयर एंड दी थर्ड वन इज दी पब्लिक ओपिनियन शेपिंग और परसेप्शन शेपिंग इन दीज द चाइनीज हैव गिवन टू थिंग्स टू द कॉग्नेटिव डोमेन यू यू लुक एट हाउ दे आर टॉकिंग ऑफ ह्यूमन माइंड टू बी टारगेटेड हुज ह्यूमन माइंड इंटरनली एंड एक्सटर्नली इंटरनली दे वॉन्ट टू कीप टोटल कंट्रोल ओवर द पॉपुलेशन सो दैट नो फिशर इज रिवील्ड टू एनी वन आउटसाइड एंड एक्सटर्नली दे आर गेटिंग इन टू एवरी इंडिविजुअल माइंड इधर थ्रू टेक्नोलॉजी और अदरवाइज एंड दैट्स नॉट नेसेसरली अलॉन्ग द बॉर्डर इफ यू आर एबल टू क्रिएट टर्मोइल एंड टर्बुलेंस एंड यू आर एबल टू टाई डाउन द सिक्योरिटी सर्विसेज एंड द नेशनल एफर्ट ट्राइंग टू कीप योर इंटरनल कोहिजन इन प्लेस आई थिंक द पर्सन हैज अचीव्ड वॉट सुंजू सेज यू विन अ वॉर विदाउट फायरिंग अ बुलेट सो इंटरनल कोहिजन इज एक्सट्रीमली इंपॉर्टेंट दैट इज वेयर द इंडिविजुअल्स हैव टू बी क्वाइट अवेयर इन मेनी कंट्रीज वेयर देर इज कंस्क्रिप्शन दिस प्रॉब्लम इज सेल्डम फेस्ड because they are trained in that particular manner in in a country like 1.4 billion uh, there is no possibility of a conscription so how does it happen we have to keep educating the people and social media is an excellent medium through which we have to train them and that is at every level that is in every age that is in every profession that is in every geographical region so it can't be that i am so far away from pakistan so nothing will happen to me on the contrary you look at the areas which are farthest from pakistan isi has been up to mischief there also correct china has also been up to mischief <coughs> not only india you look at our region this south asia how far is maldives from china but look at uh, what is happening look at sri lanka look at bangladesh look at myanmar so it's not the geographical distance now it is the digital connectivity which is able to change the entire focus and with the society. string of pearls thing it is quite clear and with the belt road initiative that they are not looking at just uh, regions or countries which are attached to their border they have global ambitions and in fact there was one uh, i heard uh, this uh, american expert who has been watching china for a long time uh, who she said for years i was watching and i always thought that they were their ambition was for g2 mm. did not for the life of me imagine that it was just one they want to be the one and that caught many china watchers in america people who have been studying china for 10 to 15 years that caught them in surprise and their five eyes uh, in fact you know that whole grouping they they actually came on a cbs show to talk about just this that and we did a, uh, a podcast with colonel pavitran on this in which we talked about just this that they none of them they were all caught unawares uh, that it was china was planning to Uh, to change uh, the the geopolitical situation where they are the sole superpower not sharing space with america this is the oriental mind hmm. you know when the anglo saxons start looking at the oriental mind they always get beaten you look at the early 70s when henry kissinger and nixon went to beijing via islamabad you know they thought that they are going to transform china into a democratic society they gave them money they gave them technology they gave them everything possible in china and in usa hmm. they gave them everything possible to bring them to a stage where now they are the revisionist power and challenging the american position hmm. so somewhere they've gone wrong and okay 
maybe there was even an economic angle that they were investing into a, a global production house and making profits out of it so at times it happens the profits and the economy makes you look the other way hmm. not realizing that uh, what was being told to them that hmm. it's not going to be g2 it is going to be g1 yeah and uh, the only thing there i have an observation is that deng xiaoping had kept everything under wraps yeah i think xi jinping when in 2013 he started announcing maybe a little too early and that may have uh, upset the equation because uh, let's assume for a moment hypothetically another 20 years they had kept quiet hmm. not shown the the kind of intentions not revealed the kind of intentions i think that surprise would have been absolutely total for america but because i think they went in for the 2013 kazakhstan bri hmm. announcement see bri is what xi uh, jinping announced but you think uh, the chinese were not doing earlier in 2005 to 2008 i was in africa every country in africa hmm. had so many doles which had been given stadiums had been constructed roads had been constructed it centers had international convention centers had been constructed libraries had been constructed by whom by chinese and chinese were pouring into africa all this while so they were doing it it's only that what they were doing came to light when xi jinping came and he started making a public show out of it uh, sir uh, in this regard this you talked about uh, this chinese presence in africa uh, chinese activities around us strings of pearls all these things now they are uh, aiming for g1 but uh, in the indian context sir the enemy number one for the last two decades or so uh, both for the uh, political as well as the military leadership is is china now uh, they may be having some issues with the americans who have helped them in their rise but then uh, when we talk in our context sir where are we can we match china because that is the enemy number one they may be taking on us but uh, that should that that doesn't bother the uh, indian public as much as uh, what they do on the lac what they do with us uh, the balance of trade all these things they are, they have been in a dominating position in this domain now are we in a position to match china because uh, on one hand we are talking about taking them on on the border whereas on the other when we talk about data sovereignty and all they have their wechats weibos tiktoks dominating the global scene whereas we don't even have a chatting app of our own you know this realization has come to us you call yourself a global soft power you call yourself a software giant and then uh, all these softwares are being developed abroad so we are doing with our human resource a job for somebody else now in the last few years you would have realized that we are saying no i need to get atmanirbhar i need to do it myself my dependency has to go down and because our dependency was so much earlier that uh, we weren't getting our money's worth also see if, if let's say i want to buy something from another country and there is a kind of a crisis firstly that other country doesn't give it to you on time he gives you at a cost that is prohibitive and the technology is much lower than what you are desirous of so there is a technological differential nobody can wish it away and it has been accumulated and because of that accumulated thing we uh, you were a part of when we did that swavalamban 
yes. Shivir in uh, when the prime minister was there. What is it we spoke of? Sprint, in which we are talking of pole vaulting. We can't be incremental anymore. We have to go faster than what he thinks, and that is where there are major things which are happening. Uh, we could have just followed it at an easy pace. No, we are doing it much faster. You look at how uh, Ministry of Defence has been moving so fast. What were the figures in 2011? What are the figures now? Uh, uh, what is the kind of uh, you saw the Raksha Mantri when he went to North Tech, and he said uh, within uh, the next couple of months I'll be announcing 20,000 crores worth of uh, defence exports. We had set a target of about 35,000 crores. We from 636 crores in 2011, we've come to 20,000 crores, and that is still happening. And our biggest challenge has been that uh, bulk of our manufacturing and production and research and development has been controlled by the state. The private sector, even with less, see like uh, the uh, defence production. 79% of the infrastructure or the assets are owned by the state only 21% and now is the time when the private sector is really gearing up but despite that 21 sector they have a sizable contribution bulk of the exports have been from the private, private sector, sector. Mm. there are 85 countries which are getting things from us why am i emphasizing on exports when you start manufacturing something it can only be affordable if you have scale of manufacture scale of selling the price will come down the, there will be more feedback available there will be dependencies of other countries on you if you are manufacturing only for your armed forces or security forces you will not be able to afford it so that is the reason when we uh, when we say whom are you preparing against you are preparing against your identified adversaries who are two we all know that but there can always be potential adversaries when things go bad so that is the reason we have to make it an affordable solution to make it affordable solution you have to design it here you have to develop it here you have to manufacture it here everything cannot be manufactured here everything cannot be designed here so we will have strategic partnerships and once we start doing that then we export and we export you get foreign exchange so again your foreign exchange reserves increase which means your economical condition in the global market improves because your forex goes higher so mm. that is the point that uh, i am saying that it cannot be done in a day it cannot be done in a month we are pushing and every person who's a stakeholder is pushing and when i am saying atmanirbhar it is not related only to the ministry of defense every ministry is doing that because every ministry is going to contribute to the vision which the honorable prime minister has shown us that we need to become a 5 trillion economy against what a 12 to 13 trillion economy which is in china so even if you say that okay from 2.1 trillion i am going to reach 5 trillion and your uh, gdp uh, which is uh, for defense is say about 2. some percent the real money worth by the time you reach 5 trillion is actually doubling but again bulk of it is happening uh, for pensions and salaries so these are certain challenges which a democracy will always face an autocratic country say china or russia they have stability 10 years 20 years the head of the state is there they have such continuity in our case the election the manifesto those are certain compulsions but then we love democracy we opted for it we want it we cherish it 
so we have to find solutions we cannot be doing copy paste of what others are doing but at last we are a country in a hurry uh, some of our uh, viewers or listeners might remember the time where there were ethical and moral discussions about defense exports yes that absolutely. we should not we should be gandhian and we should not be exporting sir uniform export kar sakte hain uh, but no arms even today even huh. today that same legacy has come to a level okay we found a change now we are talking of brahmos we are talking of artillery guns which are going but still what is the maximum that is going non lethal hmm. so we are still careful we, we are not reckless we are not ruthless that okay okay you look at uh, some biggest of defense manufacturers they will give it to both the sides yeah we don't do that hmm. and if we feel that there is something which is going to be so grave we don't give it to anybody Hmm. so we still have that but now you look at the hypocrisy of it and dr jayshankar always talks about it here is a country which puts sanctions on one country and starts using its defense industrial base to churn up make profits and give it to one side and then it also exhorts the other people who are their allies and say okay you also give hmm. we don't do that you know we we have very clear moral values so i am not saying that uh, what was being told earlier was totally wrong but you have to be pragmatic you know if you are going to develop your stores and you are going to uh, have diplomacy also coming up and every product that you throw out and it is in combat don't you think that americans and chinese and russians who give this equipment they are also learning lessons and improving the product yeah so it is a live demonstration it is a live thing it's a trial it's not happening in pokhran or mahajan ranges hmm. it's happening in a conflict area hmm. like what the uh, the major defense manufacturers did in ukraine yes they tested it they tested it in And a real war so uh, if somebody tries to push us that okay go to war with pakistan or china you know what is the motive yeah they are also testing whose readiness is at what level and what can they gain out of it you know the point about people conflicts don't happen just because of a uh, one reason yeah and who's the beneficiary out of it that also has to be seen hmm. when people say that um, you know modern day conflicts will be short intense and swift i agree with swift i agree with intense i don't agree with short, short. yeah ukraine has shown that it's evident yeah and that too when you had uh, nato backing uh, ukraine to such a level so if it is continuing and you know when we were growing up in the armed forces we were taught international fraternity will intervene they mm. will intervene only to sell weapons to you mm. so let's be pragmatic about it yeah things have changed <laughs> you, you know sir you know these days there is a meme uh, shared on whatsapp ma'am you also must have heard that uh, uh, do log aapas mein bahas kar rahe the ladai tab hui jab wakil sahab aaye राजा महाराजा तो पहले भी थे तो वो लड़े क्यों समबडी केम एंड मेड देम फाइट एंड समबडी बेनिफिटेड आउट ऑफ इट एंड वी वेंट इन टू सेंचुरीज ऑफ स्लेवरी सो दैट काइंड ऑफ थिंग एंड ओनली द ब्रिटिश डिट टू एस इज नॉट ट्रू दर अमेरिकाज you look how europe got into that you look at africa so uh, that's a part of state craft i think uh, we cannot 
again get into that persecution complex. We have to be alert, we have to be alive, we have to be knowledgeable and we have to say, okay, he is giving me free advice, what is his motive behind that hmm. and how am I going to handle that? If I need him, excellent. If I don't need him, fine. And like what, what we are seeing in Bangladesh today, sir, when the West needed uh, Sheikh Hasina to yes. be there, they were very happy backing her up. Now, all of a sudden, they have realized that there are certain human rights issues yeah. uh, involving the Hasina government and they are they not... They tried it earlier too with yeah. uh, Sheikh Hasina. And uh, she also, is, there is a trust factor when it comes to America. Yeah. So, uh, she, I think her party and she continues to believe uh, that uh, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman was assassinated and there was an American hand into it. So, there's, a, there's that legacy which is there which she cannot... Uh, climb out of that and uh, in spite of that photo op that happened uh, in New Delhi there continues to be suspicion and you've seen the new uh, time article which comes yes. in and talks about regime change and uh, yeah, things many a time the regime change which is uh, initiated by some superpower also has some internal politics linked to that hmm. so it's a very complex web and one should uh, develop that capability or knack to see through that hmm. only then will you be able to look after your nation and many of our citizens are unable to do that. Whatever is given out, suddenly they start becoming quite paranoid about it or jubilant about it. I think what's taught to us in Gita is also to maintain balance, be balanced. If you are balanced, you are able to think through. So how does one keep a balance when you have such aggressive and volatile enemies on your borders? I'll tell you, Smita, one thing which I learned was uh, uh, what I narrated about that raid uh, factor. So our army commander was General H.M. Khanna. And uh, you asked, why so many months? You know, there was a lot of discussion happening. What should we do? How should mm -hmm. we do it? So one of our senior officers, I'm not naming him, but he actually was jumping up and down and he said, you give me this and I'll do that. So General Khanna just said, better. And he very calmly said, Ek meri advice mano, which I have kept throughout my life. Apno se gussa kar sakte ho. Dushman se sir dushmani kar sakte ho. So we remember that. When we are doing any operation, we are absolutely calm, cool. There is nothing. Before we go into an operation, there may be anger. But you shed it when you get into Because now you are doing something which needs precision. You need accuracy. You can't be foggy in your head. So, when you said that we have enemies, so enemies say, alag dhang se deal karna. Khud ka andar wala alag dhang se deal karna. So, we have to be very clear. Hmm. You have inherited a neighborhood which is volatile. You have inherited a neighborhood which is bitter. You can't change it. You, you can't just suddenly get into your car and say, I'm going and plonking myself in Pacific. You can't do that. Yeah. So, you have to deal with these people. And that's exactly in our ancient culture also we were told. That they may be your neighbor, they may be your brothers. Hmm. But if you have to do something to remove the evil, you'll have to do it. Sir, you have been uh, dealing with indigenization a lot. And a lot of people uh, in our shows, the, they've been asking that we talk a lot about in, indigenization. But what are the main products that we have been seeing? Like, since you have been involved in this pro these projects, sir, can you tell us five or six main pro products that India has now and can be proud of? And okay. Both See, uh, private as well as public. Okay. See, you look at it. I, I will give you only the bigger ones. Okay. Uh, earlier, we were importing all missiles. Now, 100% indigenous on day one, you cannot achieve. 
so what did you do you brought in a model of joint ventures and with joint venture which is for brahmos you brought in that so you are in a position to export today right you went into another one which is the 155 mm artillery gun now how did you do that you picked up two indigenous industrial houses and you picked up drdo and they jointly developed that you already reached a level where you can do that okay you look at the armored uh, plated uh, armor plated vehicles do you remember when you used to go to jnk earlier the vehicles which we were using for moving our ropes they used to come from south africa initially caspian that was the model which was used during their apartheid time there yeah. and we brought it and we must have indigenized and we started you now the private industry is doing it and we are exporting it also right that is one more thing now you look at the third thing where i'll take you to space everything that we were doing was something which we had borrowed from abroad or then isro developed it themselves now you look at the private sector you've seen our private sector smaller these startups which have started making smaller satellites they have started launching satellites so gradually what has happened the satellite is being made here the satellite is being launched here hmm. and why am i saying while isro is a civil agency the dsa is uh, something which is meant for us for the defense a defense but, space agency yeah but we also need the assets no so if we need assets and if the payload is made outside or if the satellite is made outside then everything you are losing out on that so that is something that we are looking at okay you look at the ships that we are making now the biggest one the indigenous uh, aircraft Vikrant. carrier so you told me five i think that vikrant by yeah. itself is equivalent to five, five no? yeah. and there were 100 msmes which took part in that so there was this was a multi ministerial initiative after uh, vikrant was launched the minister of state for msme and i we went down to kochi we honored those 100 msmes because that is the encouragement that we have to give so today while there will always be people who will have doubts my only point is a child when he is born he doesn't start running you have created a situation where we have to start from a scratch and now that scratch is in a way that we are looking at things differently you remember the ordnance factory corporatization why did we do that hmm. we wanted to energize that and when we uh, converted them into the seven uh, dpsus obviously they also know that either they have to perform or perish so there are things which are happening so earlier if you were manufacturing ammunition say small arms the smallest thing were they nato standard no could we export them yes to those countries who didn't want uh, nato standard but should we be giving it to nato country of course we should be giving it so let's first get to a competitive commercial price get to a quality and availability today availability is not a problem you look at the cnc machines which are there if their capacity is to manufacture 8 lakh round they are manufacturing only 4 lakh because for them the captive uh, consumer was only in the indian army but if you improve the quality and you bring the price down you'll be able to sell it outside isn't pakistan selling it and mm-hmm. pakistan when they became independent they didn't have a single ordnance factory we had all the 14 ordnance factories with us then why did we land up in such a situation so this is the introspection that why we have why did we to land up sir see a kind of no competition total monopoly the kind of labor laws the kind of labor unions 
is it a welfare measure hmm. okay you you look at our 41 factories and you look at 14 factories from pakistan the ordinance one ordinance factory okay ordinance factories i am saying because that is low tech i am okay. i am not giving them high tech capability okay. i am looking at low tech 14 ordinance factories of pakistan within a radius of 75 km where are our ordinance factories one is near ooty uh, then one is near orissa one is in nalanda then there are a few in maharashtra there are some in mp there are some in up some in uttaranchal some in haryana what did we do what is the cost that is involved when you move things hmm. why did we do that for employment award obviously just for pleasing uh, politi- uh, see how for political reasons that 1962 onwards we started gearing up our ordinance factory but where hmm. jobs hmm. i'm not saying other things but obviously and then then sir they also like these when these ordnance factories and all these psus came up they also had to do this uh, uh, 25 paisa chai and 1 rupees 50 paisa thali for their employees yes. and all those welfare measures like uh, i know it exists in some psus even today that uh, they have to subsidize food and everything for their employees you know things are looking up now people are from the ordnance factories are also realizing and believe me i have interacted with the younger lot they are full of passion they want to prove that they are good they they don't they want to be sidelined yeah and uh, when i talk to them look so much of area is lying uh, uh, waste around you and you pay so much to prevent a forest fire why don't you create uh, solar farms here they are looking at it Hmm. the question is if you create a solar farm you are reducing the cost of the product yeah rather Energy, than paying yeah. it to say msab or mp esab uh, hmm. electricity board nothing comes free yeah but if you utilize or monetize so to say your assets hmm. and over a period of time how does it offset the present cost it'll have an impact on the price no so finally that is how they have to do they have to look inwards first improve their uh, processes and by improving the pro- that's not only enough one of the most important factors for your defense exports is it should be accident free if you have accidents your credibility is gone no one will ever buy it from you you look at some uh, bad examples that we've had the countries in that neighborhood said no never again from india yeah. now that is not the case or post sales service say if there is an equipment which has gone bad will you repair it there will you bring it here who will bear the cost hmm. but if you don't make provisions for all this then don't expect to be a leading exporter like, i think we have to grow up like in the past when we had given our alhs to south american country I, i didn't want to say that but what <laughs> you are saying is right that was a very bad experience yeah. very bad experience because uh, the person who had come uh, from uh, ecuador he was a friend of mine I had served in a UN mission in El Salvador. He was my colleague. We were both majors together, and I used to brainwash him that you know Indian stuff, good this, that, and all. And he came when he became a major general. He took <laughs> these helicopters, and since then he has not spoken to me. <laughs> His career is over. Yeah. yeah. I'm not blaming anybody for it, but I'm saying as a system in the country, we need to get our act right. Sir, uh, I wanted to ask you, like. you have donned different hats even today you are advisor in the ministry now you work, now coming back to 2611 sir there is this always this talk about that 
famous meeting that the prime minister of that time had with the services chiefs and intelligence chiefs where he asked them for options and it is said that in that meeting only the air force chief who was a helicopter pilot said that we must go in for operations whereas the army and the other chief they said no no we are not ready for a war this was 2008 2009 now you have served in important offices here sir you are still working with the defense ministry can this be an option for an army chief with uh, ajit doval as nsa and i'll i'll tell you something ajit uh, all of us in the army have known all through that there are always targets which are kept selected preparation is already always done it's not uh, something which uh, is unknown to any one of us you know we at every battalion level there is something which is kept ready in case you have to hit back this is what i will hit and we keep a core group which is ready with all its plans and everything is ready at the battalion level at as the well. battalion level at the formation level then what happens okay it is not a push button it can't happen suddenly you have to because he's done something to you so he's ready so you got to again look at what is the weakness that he has and that's where i can use it if the chief at that time has said i'm not privy to that but if he has said he is not ready for war he may have implied at that moment he may have implied at that moment the same thing even uh, field marshal manik shah had said hmm. when he was told that we have to do something six more months he months. said uh, what is conducive you cannot get into a conflict and then stand up and say now i can't handle it any further you have to take it through right up to the end goal so what is your end goal you have to plan it so maybe at that stage what must have been implied or what must have been said we we all are hearing only from secondary sources so what may have been said okay not now but at a suitable time like i give you an example february and october so a country again i am quoting dr jay shankar uh, you don't have to forget and you don't have to forgive you have to do what you have to do in whatever manner you deem appropriate i am not saying small or big but you have to have moral ascendancy over your adversary that is final and if the political and the military top bosses are clear in their mind that i may forgive or forget for a month second month third month if it is appropriate so be it there is weather there is production there are so many things which are involved maybe the reserves were not enough i'm not sure about what was what was being spoken but i was a brigade commander at that time but i was on a china front so i can tell you that there was nothing wrong in our level of stocks and other thing maybe just that there may have been a communication gap no military chief or commander will ever say that we cannot go to war sir uh, 2020 uh, the world was preparing including mm. india we were preparing for the pandemic and all of a sudden we started hearing news about the chinese aggression on the lac in pengong galwan all along lac in ladakh sector uh, you were uh, in the nscs at that time as ma uh, how did it happen sir and how did we react to it and how did we handle it sir see um, when uh, covid started prior to that we all on social media were getting what's happening in china 
and we were not taking it serious because we never understood the implication of this pandemic then it hit us and it hit us very hard i must give full marks to the chief of army staff at that time general manoj narane a lot of people within the army were telling him you know let's get into it and let's uh, get into relief work and we have to do it for our people very correct passionate very right he said look i have to preserve my armed forces my army in particular if something goes wrong i don't know why he said that i do not know what was in his mind at that point in time but at that point in time our deployment on the line of actual control was exactly the way it had been for many years there was no reduction there was no increase even i have served in chushul i know how it was during that time because the chinese deployment opposite used to be always less you've been to nathula you see how much we have and how much they have they have and all through like initially in uh, between 81 and 83 i was in sikkim what was the deployment opposite us like opposite my battalion there was just nothing absolutely nothing but when we look at over a period of years we see that the chinese were increasing their training activities and their training activities they used to mobilize they used to come into the training areas and in 2020 they came to the those training areas which were very close to the line of actual control around that time because of covid possibly we did not do an exercise or we could have also increased our troop level at that time so that covid may have been a restraining factor but even then how we responded at that time we had the forces going through that covid period of time not falling sick do remember around that time us had two aircraft carriers which were paralyzed because the entire crew was uh, down with covid. covid so that's why i said that i must give credit to the army chief and the cds at that time that they did not get lured into something where the rest of the country handled very well hmm. you see how every state government every central government uh, health ministry they they responded and we came up and not only did we come up then while the other countries have gone into economic recession we've continued with our growth pattern and quite well we possibly must have in a way uh, been retarded some part because of that uh, covid part otherwise uh, our exercise should have happened around that time what went wrong they came so close to the uh, in their exercise area and thereafter they came right up to the lac did we miss them our satellite assets space assets around that time were absolutely less now we have increased them to quite an extent how was his uh, space asset much more much higher than what we have so your serv- intelligence surveillance surveillance and reconnaissance so if we take that one part is human which was retarded because of covid Uh, technologically you had less assets so you got surprised around that time did you respond well yes you responded well did you something uh, did you do something to make him recoil yes kailash range ideal way to make him recoil did he yield to that yes he yielded to that now is he better off yes because the infrastructure last 3 years we have pushed our uh, road infrastructure along the northern borders what did the government do to improve the road infrastructure you know they the government set up a defense planning committee 
there are four charters of that defense planning committee and one of that is infrastructure i have been a part of it i know how the nsc used to drive it see the amount of money that has been increased to border roads see the kind of mechanization that has happened earlier border roads to a large extent was using only the local labor job opportunities that was the approach but now when you have mechanization the best of plant equipment that has come even from abroad even from india the kind of road construction simultaneously that has happened in the um, morth also a large number of roads have been constructed by them also tunnels have also been constructed earlier something like uh, such a fantastic tunnel was only a dream project but now you see the speed at which the tunnels are being made people are talking of uh, underwater tunnel uh, brahmaputra and things like that so things are improving even now there is an issue where uh, the working season in these areas is very less what do you do in 3 months that you can't do in 9 months cement will not set hmm. workers will not be able to work for those many hours who are the workers most of them are going from bihar dumka dumka jharkhand jharkhand uh, uh, the local people okay they are there there is a certain percentage which has to be taken but nature has its own constraints over us so okay the dsdbo road people used to be very skeptical they used to look at us and say oh you've been saying dsdbo road will happen it happened in 2020 yeah and that's a marvel hmm. i was in a place in sikkim where we had to walk for four days to reach there in 2017 i went there in one day how does this happen the country like keeps working from leh to chushul uh, people say that it used to take more than 24 hours i was one of them we used to move from leh or changla go to tangse spend the night there yeah because you could barely reach there yeah and from tangse again you started moving to chushul chushul and if you had to which you had to go on to the heights then another day another so day. that that was the kind of situation and, and chushul heights overlook pengongso Hmm. yeah that and, is where action happened and and uh, like last 2 3 years we have been going it takes hardly for 4 5 hours to reach from leh to chushul yeah even the vehicles have improved you know yeah. roads are one thing but even the vehicles have improved the the uh, latest generation of vehicles even in the civil in fact that is better you see the kind of taxis that are operating in that area uh, so connectivity has improved physically digitally it has improved so it's a kind of a race that we have to do with our adversary yeah i could uh, give a whatsapp video call to my wife sitting in a uh, on a tank crossing the indus sir <laughs> when uh, which when, you shouldn't <laughs> no, just after, to show after the, the discussion that we've had about data data protection and stuff like when that when i was in siachen smita for months together i have not spoken to my family yeah for months together and in those days we had to spend 6 months on the glacier now they have made it 3 months but these were the initial days we were 6 months on northern glacier one month before that to take over and one month after that to hand over but on paper it is 6 months but actually it is 8 months so how do you handle that so even the families have to be very strong you know that yeah. national resilience which i started telling you yeah this is the kind of resilience which is there they have not been trained for it yeah but they have to uh, live with that yeah i'm going to come back when it finally to the same uh, israel hamas thing and when you talk about resilience this is the character of a nation 
to yeah. show resilience in the uh, in in a time of adversity and such an enormous uh, uh, adversity which is happening in and now one can't just say israel well, even the civilians in palestine you yeah. know who are facing this kind of uh, bombardment which is happening on both sides that resilience factor uh, while uh, the israelis have been trained because of conscription and things they've they've been trained in palestine that's not the case you know in the gaza strip those the civilians they have not had that kind of training uh, what about that resilience that is there see my heart actually reaches out to the palestinians who are suffering on both ends hmm. if they don't listen to hamas they will not survive one minute yeah hamas is actually controlling their lives yeah and if they become the human shields because they have no other choice then they get a retaliation so the civilians there are caught in that conflict between hamas and israel and do we expect hamas to solve the problem no do we expect israel to solve the problem no the international community created israel and palestine the international community has done far too less hmm. than what is expected of them and it's not that this is the first war it has been happening again and again correct so what has when israel got into got onto the world map was that all that the world community should have done yeah. or they should have looked at not having any conflict there i think if i say in very loose terms they made israel and washed their hands off and sat behind and just kept watching yeah i think that's where the even in the geopolitical order today you realize that at the global level this is not helping they they've not been able to avert a conflict stop a conflict or manage a conflict you can send peacekeepers there i have been one of the peacekeepers what do you do you do separation of forces so these two who are fighting you say okay you go back 10 kilometers you back 20 kilometers then you make them come to a negotiating table and then you have a peace accord from that peace accord flows the disarmament and demobilization disarmament of the uh, rebels or whatever and demobilization of the armed forces and bring them to a particular level that they don't fight again has this happened in israel no who is to be blamed for that the entire international community should take the blame for it yeah well as we enter 2024 wise words coming from you general thank you so much for sparing the time ajit and i uh, had just enjoyed uh, this conversation thoroughly and i'm sure our viewers and listeners have gained so much information and so much knowledge and we'll process that uh, in the weeks to come thank you so much thank you thank you smita thank you ajit thank, thank you, you so sir. much Thank you for watching or listening in to this conversation. Do like or subscribe to the podcast and also share with those who you think will benefit from this conversation. Namaste, Jai Hind.